Welcome to Global Health and Childhood Cancer. I'm your host, Mark Zobeck. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Okay, before we get to the main discussion, I actually have a little bit of housekeeping to do. So, I don't really talk a lot about myself on the podcast because, I mean, it's not really about me. It's about global oncology. But I wanted to let you know that I've aspired to get episodes out to you every two weeks, and I haven't really been able to hit that benchmark um, during March and April because I was have been on a few clinical services at the hospital. And then in May, I'm going on to the bone marrow transplant unit, which is an incredibly busy service for us too. So the frequency of podcasts is probably going to be a little slower. But towards mid to late June, I hope to be getting podcasts out every one to two weeks and have some really exciting stuff on the horizon. We're going to cover more than just treatment abandonment, believe it or not. Um, So starting about mid-June, hopefully things will pick up. So look forward to a a steadier stream of these podcasts coming out then as I do this and also go through the experience of Hemonk Fellowship training. But now let's get to the discussion, uh, and it happens to be about treatment abandonment again today. Woo! But we're talking again to Dr. Paula Friedrich. Paula is on the faculty at St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, and she serves in the St. Jude Global Pediatric Medicine Department as the director of the Mexico region. And I had Paula on back in episode two, where she introduced the concept of treatment abandonment. And then since that time, we've had three other episodes about abandonment. So this will actually be the fifth in the series. And I've only had nine episodes on the podcast so far. So the reason why I chose to dedicate so much time to this particular topic is because I feel that it serves as a very good introduction to the unique issues that need to be addressed within global oncology. Um, And so I think it is illustrative of the hardships that people face and the difficulties of providing complex medical treatment in resource-constrained settings. So that's one reason, is that it's a good introduction. But I also find that the domain of abandonment is a part of the field in flux. And what I mean by that is there's been about a decade of really good scholarship that's come out that has described what abandonment is. But now we're in transition as a field from describing what it is to doing something about it. So that's what this episode is more about, is what do we do about it? So you can think of this episode as a call to action, so to speak. If you are interested in helping to address treatment abandonment uh, in the location where you work, or if you are in a center that does not experience it, but you'd like to help other places that do experience it, then this episode is all about what can you do about it. So it was a great conversation with Paula, and I think you will take something useful from it. So without further ado, I give you Dr. Paula Friedrich. Okay, I'm here with Paula Friedrich again. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, Paula. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So we've been doing a series on treatment abandonment, and we've come a long ways. I mean, we had you on back, I call it episode two, where you introduced the idea of treatment abandonment, um, what it is, how we measure it, um, just kind of what we know from a big picture perspective. And then we had Deepak on who talked about the socioeconomic dimensions of treatment abandonment and what happens when Uh, We give financial support to patients and how that can lower the rates. And then we had on Nuria Russell, and she talked about this importance of the psychosocial team and how they play a role in sustaining patients through treatment. Um, And after that, we had on Saskia Mostert, who 
talked through the importance of trust and communication and really understanding your patients on a deeper level than just, you know, they come into the clinic and they leave, but uh, truly communicating with them and seeing them as people. So I think we've got a good uh, comprehensive picture of the main factors that go into treatment abandonment. But that really wasn't the purpose of the symposium that you were able to lead at SIOP. We really wanted to shift the conversation to how do we start to implement answers everywhere where treatment abandonment is a problem. So why don't you go ahead with that setup, go ahead and talk us through how do we start to change it um, anywhere that we're at? Yeah, so I think um, as, as, as you've summarized very well, um, we have over the past uh, eight or nine years, uh, especially sort of since the development of the uh, working group on treatment abandonment, we have uh, learned a lot. Uh, we have learned both um, sort of from different activities that are happening around the world, sort of as at specific centers. And we've also learned a lot uh, moving the field forward from a conceptual standpoint, creating definitions, creating ways to, uh, to assess, to address treatment abandonment. And so now I feel, uh, and several of um, others sort of in the working group, feel that we have gotten to that kind of very typical point where what you know is very established, pretty advanced, but the adoption of that and the actual implementation is not as um, universal as it could be and perhaps should be. Uh, so we're getting to that point of if we know so much about this, if we know this is a problem and we know it, it affects so many children and we know there's great strategies to address it and we know that those strategies can be implemented in all sorts of um, settings, either geographically or um, income level. Um, why is it that we still have a problem? Like, why aren't we just implementing these things? and? Um, solving the problem all around the world. Uh, and that's more of an adoption. Um, we know that there's often a lot of evidence, uh, but there can be a big gap between the evidence that's out there and the knowledge that's out there and the actual change in practice in every setting. So I think that's sort of the turning point where we are. And the, the main message we wanted to bring during the symposium to everyone to say, Basically, I think the, the call was a call to action to say, if this is something that you want to address, um, don't reinvent the wheel. Uh, there's plenty of information out there, um, and there's plenty of people that would be willing to help and support and mentor projects like this. We just, we want things to move faster. We want to, uh, to promote change in a way that um, kids with cancer can benefit now. Yeah, that makes sense. The gap between what we know and what needs to be done. <laughs> How do we close that gap? <laughs> and doing it. <laughs> and doing it. Yeah. Okay. So what, what practical advice do you have for people who, who listen to you and say, yeah, that sounds like the answer. Uh, what next? 
So I would say the first thing um, that I would say is sort of reach out to any of us um, in the working group. I think everyone has a, a lot of experience and a lot of interest in seeing this um, move forward. Um, we have a lot of resources in our um, site uh, within Cure for Kids. Um, there's a lot of published literature as well. And what I would say is uh, reach out to us and we can either help, we can help directly um, by mentoring the projects or we can connect you with someone that has either had a similar problem or a similar idea of how to solve it. And so that you can learn not just from the published um, literature, but from the actual experience. Uh, of people trying these projects out. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, as the plug, we will put contact information for the group members for the um, Treatment Abandonment Working Group with PSYOP PODC on the website, ghccpod.com. So go there and check it out. Um, okay. So you can you can contact us, but uh, do you have any other kind of pearls in terms of uh, things that people can start doing now? Yeah. So I think, uh, so the number one is to measure this. Uh, so you want to know, you know, uh, if you're thinking about this, it probably is a problem, but you want to get a sense of how big a problem it is. So you want to measure it. Um, and then some of the other things that you want to do is, uh, you know, you want to build trust, a trusting environment. Some, as, as we talked and, and some of the other members of the group have discussed, sometimes people don't want to talk about this. Um, and, and so you have to build trust around this. You have to build trust with the families. You have to build trust, uh, with your patients. And um, you can also work more from a communication standpoint, improving communication about the diagnosis, the treatment, the side effects, the, the treatment course. Um, that can sort of be a, a good strategy as well. Um, as you heard from Nuria, you can build psychosocial teams that support the medical doctors in, in some of these um, uh, work um, because it, it can be very time consuming. And there are, you know, some of our skill sets are Similar as some of our skill set, skill sets are different. So sometimes building these psychosocial teams that support the medical team and the families is a great way to get started. We've talked about sort of foundations and how we really, especially in lower income settings, have to address the issue of material hardship. The fact that um, childhood cancer is a catastrophic illness from a disease standpoint, but it can also be a financial catastrophe. And so we need to actually make those basic resources available, make sure people have food and they have uh, transportation and they have housing. So addressing those material hardships. We also want to make sure um, another perspective is to, uh, someone said the other day, sort of just realize that these children are humans, sort of support the emotional well-being of the children, whether it's through um, things like child life or creating an, uh, a nice environment in the institutions uh, where they're receiving care. And then finally, going back to sort of the idea of measuring is sort of to accounting this in your in your survival analysis or, or when you're monitoring your outcomes so that you can really track it over time, see what, you know, the interventions that you're doing, what are the patients that are benefiting and which are the patients that may not be benefiting from what you're doing right now so that you can, you know, continue to evolve your strategies over time. And so these are, there's projects, you know, and good examples of uh, uh projects in all of these. From the perspective of measuring, there's good examples of tracking. So one one typical example is, you know, making sure there's a list of the patients that are coming to clinic today so that the day that they don't show up, at the end of the day, someone calls them and figures out, you know, why didn't you come? Uh, can you come tomorrow instead? 
not waiting uh, several weeks uh, to then realize that the patient didn't come. That actually contributes to the second one that we talk about, sort of building trust, because the patients realize that you're also invested in their care and they're getting better. There's great examples also in terms of uh, sort of building these psychosocial teams. And, and some great examples are what, you know, what you've heard sort of um, from Central America, both in El Salvador. There's also great examples in Guatemala. Um, there's also great examples of foundations that have done these. So each of these items that I mentioned have actually teams around the globe that have implemented very successful projects and, and that where we all can learn from them. So if I can reflect back what I heard you say. Mm-hmm. The first thing you need to do is just get a handle on what's happening in a particular treatment center. So measure treatment abandonment and measure who's coming and who's not coming to mm-hmm. clinic visits. And then you said, you know, we with all these domains we've talked about with the financial domain or the psychosocial domain or kind of the trust and communications, uh, be thoughtful about your own center and what may be the particular uh, causes of abandonment um, where you're at. And maybe there's a way to measure that as well, as you said, and use an example from the literature because everybody's kind of tackled these problems in different places before. And so from that, you can try to find maybe your own um, answers, not not coming up with a new one, but uh, applying an example you've seen others do. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess that goes back to um, if people do have ideas but need a little more help, then maybe the treatment abandonment working group would be a good resource for you to talk through your idea and maybe we can point you in a direction that uh, lets you put wheels to your idea and make it go. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And so I remember from our first talk, you said that treatment abandonment is a a measure of quality, so to speak, in terms of how we are giving care. And so do you have a way of integrating this idea of quality into addressing treatment abandonment? Yeah. So one of the, I I think we all approached, um, the strategies that I just mentioned um, from a scholarly or academic perspective uh, for a while. And I still, there's still some room for that uh, within the institutions. And, uh, but I, again, sort of as the years have passed, uh, we know that, you know, we know that treatment environment is a problem. We know that there are strategies to address it. We know that the most of the strategies that we have tried are effective. So in a way, the the need to document that is maybe less than what it was before 10 years ago and so in and that's one of the reasons that i feel like the evidence that we have right now makes it um make, creates a situation where addressing treatment abandonment is just one of the components of quality care and so we know that the the when we talk about uh, the cornerstones uh, cornerstones of quality of care we usually talk about the Things like being uh, care being safe, effective, efficient, equitable, timely, patient-centered. Um, and so, in my opinion, uh, if you apply this quality perspective, uh, that's when you're gonna when you're you're gonna be able to address treatment abandonment the best. And if you see treatment abandonment as a quality, as a piece of the quality care continuum, you're also gonna be able to address it in the best way. And so I think as a field, what we're moving from an academic or um, scholarly work standpoint is more thinking about tool validation. So if I develop a tool to address treatment abandonment, you know, should I validate, validate that tool so that we can know if it, if it only works in one setting or if it's generalizable to other settings? 
We also want to think about some of these interventions that have worked in one center. Well, are they generalizable to other centers? Do they work across different cultures? Do we need to do some cross-cultural adaptation? Thinking about those same interventions, what is the effect measure of impact? Can we monitor the same effect measure of impact across different sites and reach comparable results? Um, what are the models for sustainability of some of these interventions? And finally, I think one of the areas where, where there's, at least I have sort of the greatest interest, is to really sort of think from a social and medical anthropology standpoint, what about these deep, complex factors, right? Like uh, we talked before that, you know, there's the tip of the iceberg and then there's a, there's so much depth, uh, down, down the line. Um, and so I think, now is the time from a scholarly standpoint to start thinking about those uh, very complex factors and how to address them and how to develop interventions to address them, which is less clear right now. Yeah. The uh, analogy that came to my mind as I was just listening to you, if I can venture a uh, scholarship analogy, is that it, we don't need as much basic science research <laughs> right now in terms of treatment abandonment. We need more translational and clinical applications. Is that <laughs> a good way to um, yes, that's a very good analogy. Yeah, so we, we need <laughs> uh, to... from the bench science uh, world. Yeah, yes. so we need tool validation. We need intervention uh, documentation of its generalizability, impact, and sustainability. And we need to yeah. really get through to these under deep underlying anthropological, medical, or social factors. Yes, and that's why I think sort of the the implementation science or the quality sciences are sort of the way to move forward, as well as some component um, of dissemination research. Like, how do we make sure uh, we find all the ways of communicating this information so that it can really be adopted everywhere? Yeah. These terms may be uh, new to some people. Can you define them for us? So, and we'll provide the slides. Uh, and of course, they're all kind of Googleable, but implementation science is the study of methods to improve the integration of research findings and evidence into healthcare policy and practice. So it's basically how do you actually bring that knowledge to the clinical practice? That's sort of implementation science. Dissemination research, which is something that I'm not as familiar with, it's sort of from, a, from a, my own um, scholarly work, but it's more the scientific study of targeted distribution of information and intervention materials to a specific public health or clinical audience. And so here the idea is how do you spread the information so that it can be adopted, so that it reaches all the, the locations and all the possible users and all the possible people in need. And finally, implementation research is the scientific study uh, of the use of strategies to adopt and integrate evidence-based health interventions into clinical uh, and community settings. And so here, when you're doing implementation research, often uh, you're trying to improve outcomes, but you're not reinventing the wheel. You've sort of, you have pre-established um, tools or packages that you know work. And now you're studying how to implement them in different settings or different contexts and sort of checking their their applicability in this uh, greater, this kind of greater arena in a way. Okay. So implementation science, dissemination research, and implementation research. Great. Yes. And as, uh, as you said, we'll have these slides available on ghccpod.com. So you can go download them, read a little bit more about what, you, what each of these domains are. Um, and I think this is really, really helpful to me. So again, speaking as someone who 
came to this um, problem from a, a high income setting. So I'm in the United States and I just read a bunch of the literature about it and got overwhelmed at the kind of the seeming magnitude of the problem. And I was just uh, lost for words as to how we may begin to approach this problem. I think these types of frameworks are really, really important for helping to make the problem seem like it can be fixed, making abandonment seem like it can be reduced. And so I think this is a very important thing for other people who may feel similarly to me um, to hear that there are established frameworks for doing these things. Like you're not alone and you don't just have to make up the process. You can access the tools of implementation science or implementation research. And if, again, if you can contact the abandonment working group, then we can help point you in the right direction of what tools may be best for you. Kind of going back to where, what you were saying before, sort of, you know, how do we get engaged? How do we start? And I think um, to summarize, it's, it's one is uh, sometimes people get stuck um, because they see something as pure scholarly activity, right? Uh, research. And I, and I think one of the important shifts in our mindset is to really see addressing treatment abandonment as part of the quality of care continuum. So, you know, getting, getting rid of the barriers that might be imposed by forcing it into a research perspective when it, it doesn't always have to be. There are some research questions to be answered, but not all addressing treatment abandonment is research. Most of it right now is about quality of care. And then if one wants to approach it from a research standpoint, then to focus on these things that are really advancing the field. I'm thinking about uh, quality improvement and implementation science as a framework to really advance uh, the scholarly work on treatment abandonment to the next level. And then I would say uh, we, we really one thing we really need to improve is to utilize everything that we have and we know to deliver the message. And for these, I think there's two areas that I'm really thankful for what you're doing. Um, and it's one of the reasons that I feel like this is uh, a great way to get the message out there is that we need more of this information to be in searchable format, um, more of these experiences to be available, not just in the peer review literature, but in other formats as well. And to really re reach out to the non-clinical audience and the um, and the patient audience, perhaps, and sort of all these different audiences, and in, with the, all the different tools and the methods that are out there. And I think we sometimes, as scholars, limit ourselves to dissemination in peer-reviewed journals, and that is is a very narrow scope for a, a big problem. And um, if we want to solve this big problem, we need to be more creative in terms of how to reach out, how to disseminate what we're doing, how to connect people that want to um, address this and, and, and create a, a bigger audience for all of this. So thank you for doing this, uh, because I think this is hopefully going to be one of the, one of the ways we can uh, get people informed and engaged and interested and aware about this. Yeah, I, it is my hope as well. That's the whole reason behind doing the podcast. So thank you for that. I didn't pay her to say that, by the way. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you agree with her, one of the ways you can help get the word out is by sharing this. So going on to Facebook or um, Twitter or wherever you happen to like to be and share the podcast or give it a rating on iTunes, um, the Apple Podcast Store or in Android. That also helps. Um, okay. Anything else, Paula, that we did not cover? 
No, I think I think we've had a really uh, nice series, and I really encourage everyone to listen to all of them um, and to reach out if 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 you want to learn more about this or implement a project or be part of the community that is wanting to address this. Just reach out to us; we'll, we would be really happy to have you. One additional thing uh, is that we, as a working group, really want to get some of these stories out there. Uh, so we're hoping we're going to be reaching out within our working group community and collecting some of these uh, stories and examples, challenges, success that our peers have um, experienced over the years. And so hopefully stay tuned for more of these uh, so you can hear the actual stories from people on the ground, which I think will be uh, heartwarming and uh, eye-opening for all of us. Great. Yeah. Big things on the horizon. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate your time and and hope you have a good one. We'll probably see you back here sometime.